Good morning, Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. He is Isaac Fitzgerald. It's Monday, darling. You're watching AM to DM. You are watching AM to DM. Let's start with the big news of the morning. Trump is meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin, like, right this moment. I think they're sitting down for lunch. I think it's fair to say they've been meeting for many moments mm, this morning. It sounds that like is absolutely the truth. <laughs> it sounds like they're one-on-one -on -one conversation. Spending time together. Yeah, went a little long. Mm -hmm. Went along. They're having a working lunch now. I didn't see any food on that table, by the way, so whatever. <laughs> Here's a tweet from the New Yorker's Joshua Yaffe about how things are going so far, Yaffa. Uh, feels like Trump has preempted Putin's likely opening talking points by making them himself. Mueller investigation is an attempt to undermine Trump and spoil U.S.-Russia relations. Uh, complicated problems like Ukraine are Obama's fault and U.S. to blame for decade plus of ill will. Yeah. Hit, doing all the hits for him. Just playing all the hits. <laughs> Joining us now live from the district to talk about this whirlwind meeting is BuzzFeed News Capitol Hill reporter Paul McLeod. Paul, good morning. Dubrai Utro, comrades. Oh, my God. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice, I Paul. always think I'm ready for your introduction, Paul, and I'm never quite prepared. Uh, anyway, uh, And so, you never will be. Yeah, I never will be. I'm at peace with this. Um, well, to start, we know this morning is very much still uh, in the works in terms of this Helsinki summit, but so far, what has been, you know, one of the more significant takeaways from Trump and Putin's meeting? So they've met for a couple hours already. We don't know what's been discussed exactly, but the most striking thing is that when they made the public comments beforehand, uh, Trump did not say anything about, oh, I don't know, the indictments of 12 Russian government agents uh, that came out just Friday for, they were indicted for interfering with the American electoral process in the 2016 election. We found out much more information about what they were doing, that they stole information on hundreds of thousands of American voters. That did not come up. Crimea did not come up. What came up was Trump uh, tweeted about how great friends were going to be and how the situation, the tension between Russia and America is worse than it's ever been. And that is partly the, uh, largely the problem of Democrats like Barack Obama, who's led it to get to this this point and how he's going to fix it. Yeah, blaming blaming um, America of the past. I do want to ask, Paul, though, is it, is it that surprising that Trump kind of didn't bring that up to kick this off? I mean, that to me actually almost seems a little diplomatic, trying to keep the peace going into these meetings. And to that, what is Trump hoping to get out of this? And what is Putin maybe going to get out of all this? Yeah, I mean, I certainly would never have expected him to bring that up just because it's also something that Trump himself never brings up uh, on a normal basis other than to declare it all witch hunt, which he did again this morning. Um, I mean, for Russia, this is win-win. Uh, Putin gets to sit down with the president. He gets to uh, have his message backed up that there, there was no interference and potentially can rebuild some relationships because there's a lot of... There's, Putin's got a tricky line to walk here where he wants to avoid any type of sanctions uh, on Russian investments. For Trump, I mean, he really does seem fixated on repairing the relationship between America and Russia. And, you know, in a normal situation, if you had this cloud swirling around of potential collusion and certainly Russians interfering in the American election to help get you elected, most presidents would probably be a little bit more cautious about the optics of going to meet with the leader of Russia. But uh, Trump? does not seem concerned about that. He does not seem concerned. And he's been very loquacious. I mean, I, I saw him tweeting, you know, he'd been tweeting well before many of us woke up this morning here on the East Coast. So we, we have a better sense of Trump's optics and what he's communicating. How is Putin behaving so far today? Uh, so, I mean, so far uh, <laughs> for Putin, this is the easiest thing for, that he has to do. He decides to show up, shake hands, can look firm but uh, also welcoming i mean he's just coming off the world cup as well where uh the president just pr gave him a lot of personal praise for pulling off the world cup so i mean for putin this seems like a very low level of difficulty uh you just you know you publicly you can uh, show strength but then also you go behind doors and you try to work trump the one thing i thought was hilarious was that Putin showed up late and kept Trump waiting, which is like just the ultimate power move. And apparently he does this to everyone. Trump also does this to everyone. So there was some people kind of wondering, like, who's actually going to show up on time for this meeting? And uh, Putin was the one who uh, decided to... <laughs> 
I know, seriously, they could have been a standoff. It's going to be like a three-week-long thing of continually getting rolled back 15 minutes at a time. What I was worried about was when they both showed up and shook hands. I was just like, oh, maybe that handshake will last for like a day and a half because neither <laughs> of them is willing to, oh. let, to let go. Um, I could see that happening. But let's talk a little bit about... It's, just, it's the same stuff from like the schoolyard when we were kids. It's just that on a geopolitical level now, but it's the exact same dynamics. But let's talk about that closed-door meeting. Mm. Is there any chance that we're ever mm. going to figure out what got spoken about behind those closed doors? Um, what is, like, I'm, they must have translators in there. Is there anything that we're, any way we're going to get yeah. information out of that? Well, typically what happens is they give a sort of basic readout of here's what's discussed. That's not super useful because, of course, that's just the public press release version and it doesn't really get into the nitty-gritty of what was talked about or how it was talked about and certain things are often left off. Then usually afterwards, because anytime you have uh, bilateral talks or multilateral talks, different people have different agendas and so you start to see the leaks either in the U.S. media or you might see it through the, the Russian media. Uh, but even then, you know, that's all very curated by the people who are in the room. So it's unlikely that we're ever going to get a really fulsome picture of how these talks went. Okay, I also wanted to ask, you know, the members of Pussy Riot who were on the field during the World Cup finals have been charged, and, you know, we know how that story tends to go in Russia. Is it of note uh, that Trump complimented Putin uh, on hosting the World Cup? Yeah, just everything about it is so weird. I mean, it was, at that point, two days after a dozen Russian intelligence officers were indicted. I, can't, I just, every time I think about it, it blows my mind. I mean, the that he just does not give a damn about the optics of personally praising Putin right after that happened is remarkable, but clearly he does not care. He's completely, I mean, he staked his position. He is going to praise Putin and he's going to uh, uh, go after Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Peter Strzok, uh, the, the FBI, and those are where the lines are drawn and he's, he's sticking with it. And he's sticking with it, but I do need to, like, I, I wonder, what could have been done? There were people calling for the, for the summit to be canceled. Was that ever actually a reality? Was that an option? It was oh, certainly an option. Um, I don't think it was a realistic one just because of the personalities involved that Trump did not want to cancel it. Absolutely. So, something like that is absolutely grounds to break off the meeting. I mean, we are in theory going to attempt to get these, uh, you know, two dozen or so total uh, Russian agents extradited to America to prosecute them for crimes. Now, of course, everyone knows that that's never actually going to happen. The Russians would never do that. But, you know, in theory, this is what's going on. And that's grounds to, to break off a diplomatic meeting. I mean, that's a, that's a hostile act. And, uh, but it, it just doesn't look like that was ever really weighed very heavily, or there's no signs it was weighed very heavily by Trump, even though there are other politicians calling for him to back out of the meeting. Well, you know, Paul, post-2016, loath as I am to ask reporters to make predictions, uh, what comes next uh, in this Helsinki summit? I, I don't know. I mean, maybe <laughs> they come out, like, just wearing, like, matching outfits, like, <laughs> pledge to be best friends forever. Like, who, who, can, who can even guess at this point? We've got a, we've got a world where Trump is uh, openly antagonizing Europe and then buddying up with Russia. And I mean, to your point earlier, maybe some of this is diplomatic, you know, play hardball with your friends uh, and try to get a better deal and then try to make nice with your enemies to try to thaw out relationships. But like, nothing would stun, stun me at this point. He could come out and say, you know, Vladimir just explained to me why the EU is a bad idea and we should just go back to a pre-EU world. And I would not even be entirely shocked. And I would not be entirely shocked. Well, Paul, thank you so much for your insight this morning. Is it too late to reboot the Americans? <laughs> yeah. bring, it, bring it back. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for joining us, Paul. <laughs> Paul's like, yo. Cheers, guys. Yeah, cheers. Uh, you know, I like the idea that some, some friendship bracelets. Uh, listen, at this point, Putin and Trump could walk out of that meeting and start singing ape shit. And I would be totally thrown. For more updates, remember to follow BuzzFeed News Foreign Affairs reporter Emily Tampkin, who is in Helsinki covering the meeting. You should definitely follow her on Twitter. Up next, Ben Smith sits down with Senator Jeff Merkley. They have a lot to talk about. Stay tuned. Welcome back. This is The Sit Down, and I'm here with Senator Jeff Merkley of Oregon. Um, guy's been in the news quite a bit lately. 
and uh, also one of one of two senators to endorse Bernie Sanders for president, the other being <laughs> Bernie Sanders. Um, and I actually wanted to start with a photo I just showed you, which is just a couple of minutes ago, Donald Trump, Vladimir Putin, their aides, sat down at this long table in Helsinki under chandeliers. Um, what, did, you know, what, what, did you make, what did you make of that image? What's your reaction to that image? Well, I'm thinking about the fact that they should be talking about uh, the Russian invasion of Crimea, the occupation of Ukraine, the attack on individuals with chemical agents in England, the Russian obliteration of uh, civilian towns in, in Syria, the Russian uh, manipulation engagement in our U.S. elections. Those are the things they should be talking about, and I doubt those get mentioned at all. What did you make of the look on Vladimir Putin's face? Well, uh, I think he looked uh, pretty happy. Not smiling happy, stern like he's in control, this is his, his show, he's in charge and he's getting everything he wants out of the American president. Now what do you make of Donald Trump's persistent, I guess among other things, refusal to criticize Vladimir Putin? I mean, do you think Vladimir Putin has something on him? I think it's likely, yeah. The, um, do you, can you elaborate on that? <laughs> well, it's a, it's a standard strategy of Russia when people uh, visit there who are important to try to get compromising information on them, uh, to set them up uh, with uh, hookers, uh, to tape everything that goes on in their room. So it's likely that they, they, they have that. Uh, there are many members of, uh, of uh, Trump's team that had different types of communication with Russia uh, that are probably un uncomfortable, and, and we may find out from Mueller far beyond uh, uncomfortable. Uh, and Trump clearly wants to, uh, to convey that there's absolutely nothing there. But if there's absolutely nothing there, then why are so many people under indictment? Uh, how come a number of people have pled guilty? Uh, why is there so much information about so many contacts with his campaign? Uh, so uh, uh, Trump wants there to be one world, the, his, his fantasy world, uh, that he repeats a thousand times over, but it's not the real world. But so just to put this in the terms that Twitter can, the Twitter can relate to, your view is that the P-tape is real? Something close to that. Something close to that. All right, without, without getting into any further detail on that one. Um, the, you, you also think that, and is that, is that a reason for you that, um, that Brett Kavanaugh should not be confirmed to the Supreme Court? Well, there's so many reasons Kavanaugh shouldn't be confirmed. Uh, let's, let's start with the fact that the president said he'll only nominate somebody who will strike down Roe v. Wade, which would be a huge assault on the, the rights of uh, women across America, that he'd only uh, nominate somebody who would strike down uh, health care, uh, the ACA, uh, which in my state, 400,000 people gained access to health care through the Affordable Care Act. Uh, and the, the fact that they're insured means there's more money in the clinics and the hospitals for everyone else, so everyone uh, benefits. And then we come to the fact that he chose off that list uh, the individual who has the most expansive vision of presidential power, one appropriate for a kingdom and a king, but not a democratic republic and a president. Now, we, we published a story over the weekend, you know, Dick Durbin, some of your other colleagues saying, you know, we'd love to stop this, but Democratic activists imagine we actually can stop this thing, and we can't. Is that, I mean, is that the truth? Or are you going to wind up kind of basically letting, letting your base down here? Well, 51 uh, individuals can stop it. And uh, that's, that's what we're aiming for. We're going to make sure we spend uh, all the time necessary to get uh, the, the information under the Kagan rule. That is, the Republicans said when Kagan was part of an executive branch, they needed to have every memo she'd ever written. Uh, we want every uh, memo that Kavanaugh has written. And he wrote a lot. Uh, we want to find out exactly what he did inside the Starr investigation. Uh, was he the person who was leaking information out of the grand jury, of the grand jury testimony? Uh, we'll, we'll find out. Uh, what else will we learn? But out of that will come a conversation about the vision of the Constitution, the we the people vision, the fact that, that he opposes that vision, that he's part of a group that comes out of the Federalist Society that wants to stand our Constitution on its head, change it from a structure of government that produces laws reflecting the will of the people into a structure of government that produces laws that are by and for the powerful and the privileged. And that alone should be enough to get 51 votes uh, to uh, end this nomination. Now, I wonder if what you're saying, I mean, the, the tradition for a long time was more or less that the president gets the Supreme Court justices that he wants, particularly, I mean, you, you guys lost the Senate, you lost the House, your party doesn't control the government. But Barack Obama didn't get the, uh, 
didn't, w you know, didn't get the Supreme Court justice he wanted. And now I think you're saying that Trump shouldn't. I wonder if you worry that the whole kind of constitutional order is falling apart here, that, this, that, that these underlying structures are starting to get really shaky. Well, the underlying tradition was that a president would get a nominee confirmed if that nominee had bipartisan support, at least 60-plus votes in the Senate. And um, that was uh, violated by the Republicans when they fused, refused to give a, a hearing and a, a vote uh, debate uh, to uh, Obama's nominee. Uh, and it's uh, violated again when they confirmed Neil Kavanaugh by changing the rules of the Senate. And it's being violated again, so this is like the third time violation by the Republicans of the core principle that existed before. And all of this being driven by those who are the most wealthy and well-connected in America in a multi-decade strategy to convert our Constitution into something that it was not supposed to be. That is a document that enables those at the top to continue to squeeze the rest of America for their own benefit. To, um, to switch to, to politics, as I said, you supported Sanders in 2016. And I wonder, sort of looking at the political landscape right now, I think you know, a lot of people have been pretty amazed to see Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez emerge and you know, the contrast between Sanders, who is, you know, would be entering, I guess, his 80s as president and a kind of young, dynamic, attractive figure such as yourself. I mean, do you, do you think, that it's, do you think that, it, that it's appropriate for Sanders to run or that somebody of your generation or a generation below ought to, be, ought to be the nominee? I think whoever wants to run, it's appropriate for them to run. That's, what, that's the freedom in our, our society. Somebody who's uh, impassioned about the need to put America back on track and have, has ideas for how it's be done, for them to be able to go out and, and test those ideas in the public forum, uh, that's what America's all about. Have you talked to Sanders about, about, your, about your own decision whether or not to run? No, I haven't. No. Okay. And one final question from Twitter. Um, Tom Angel tweeted at us that uh, about, just ask how you felt about Pat Leahy and, other, and others blocking your attempts to make it easier to do, do marijuana business in Oregon, to bank in particular. Well, I was uh, disappointed. We had passed this twice before. And the uh, argument that was put forward by the chair and the ranking member was because it hadn't made it to the Oval Office, it wasn't existing policy, and therefore it was a new policy, uh, and um, they're working hard to restore the appropriations process. So uh, you might have noticed we got every single bill done in appropriations. Uh, we've already gotten one minibus uh, through the, uh, the Senate. Uh, so the appropriations process on the Senate side is, is, is much healthier. Uh, they had a fair point to make on the policy front. But here's the thing. Normally, we could take these policy bills, like Audit is putting forward, that we need to establish banking for cannabis because a cash economy is an invitation to money laundering and theft and cheating your employees and cheating on your taxes, organized crime, all bad. Normally, you could put it on the floor of the Senate as an amendment to something. In 2017, outside of the budget process, not a single amendment was considered on the floor of the Senate something that's been completely missed by the, the press. Uh, this, is, um, this is the end of the Senate as a, really a deliberative body on policy. So if you're blocked in the Appropriations Committee and you're blocked on the floor, uh, then it's very hard to put ideas out there and, and, and say, hey, vote on this. This matters. This matters, so, and so I'm. 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 So, so I want to. I'm so finding. I'm paying looking. cash for weed in Oregon, for now. <laughs> it's it's cash. I right. accompanied uh, the owner of a company who had seventy thousand dollars in his backpack to pay his quarterly taxes, and it's so bizarre going down the freeway and talking about how they have to pay their their employees in cash, how they pay their suppliers in cash, uh, and. It, it's a bad system. Everyone should agree. States' rights on this. Let the states have an electronic system to track the, what these businesses are doing, not billions of dollars right. floating around like this. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Senator. Oh, you're we, we really appreciate you're your coming you're in. Thanks. Twitter. It is still a good morning, allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, Trump and Putin's joint press conference in Helsinki is just starting. We're going to keep an eye on that. But for now, 
for now. Uh, let's talk about this tweet from Corey Taylor that has had <laughs> Isaac and I just, just thinking, ruminating, giggling. <laughs> uh, you can replace the cast of any movie with the Muppets, but you keep one of the human actors. What movie and which human do you keep? Mm. I love it. Such a beautiful little mm -hmm. thing. To, this took over the timeline for yes, me yesterday. It did. It was really fun to watch. Really fun. Everybody was sharing their thoughts. The more tweets you see about it, the more ideas you come up with. And yeah. it's like the timeline was going like, Elon Musk or Muppets. And I was like, I'm going to go Muppets. Let's you leaned that. into joy. Yeah, sure You did. leaned into joy. Uh, let's look at some of our favorite suggestions. Josh Gondelman, you tweeted, Muppet Con Air. Keep Nick Cage. <laughs> Just imagine that. That's pretty good. It's so good. And oh, I don't know if you remember. It's been a while. The American classic that is Con Air. But there's a lot of <laughs> holding up a stuffed bunny and like taking it hostage. What was in the bunny? It's not, It was just meant for his daughter. Oh. Nick Cage is just trying to get back to his family. <laughs> I was like, was uh, there drugs in the bunny? No, no, oh, no, okay. no. But could you just imagine no. if, 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 if it was a muck Kermit or that? somebody mm. <laughs> And it works for almost any Nick Cage movie. Any Nick Cage movie. I was staying in a hotel and just like channel surfing and ended up watching National Treasure 2. Can you believe that Helen Mirren was in it? Anyway. That, that would be fun. Uh, leaving Las Vegas? Maybe it worked. All right, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm obsessed with Moth Dad's suggestion. The Matrix, but outside the simulation, everyone is a Muppet. Ooh. That is a damn good. Okay. Waldorf and Statler both playing like Agent Smith. Because you feel like Agent Smith is always like talking to his like. That would be real. I like that he played with the rules a little yeah, bit, that's right? Good. He was if like, you're going to go off the script, you got to deliver. But I'm deliver. just picturing Kermit with like, with like the glasses on. Yeah. <laughs> Miss Mickey, of course, is Trinity. I really like it. Ira Madison, you suggested Showgirls, but you keep Gina Gershon. Mmm. <laughs> just I'm picture sorry. it. Just picture just take, I want you to take a moment and picture it. Just picture yeah. it in your mind's eye. Oh, man. That'd be Need a lot. that. Surprise, it doesn't already exist. Just the Surprise sweetest is... chef up on the pole. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I wasn't ready for that. Shout out to Lindsay, Lindsay Ellis for your thoroughness with this tweet. You said, the first thing that came to mind was Mad Max Fury Road. Keep Tom Hardy. It adds dimension, really. Max is mad because he's in a post-apocalyptic, post-apocalypse surrounded by Muppets. All right, Lindsay. That's you did that. I'm just saying. He's like, where are the people? You Why know how am I, I feel about Tom Hardy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you yeah. would definitely want to keep Tom yeah. Hardy. And I do feel like Tom Hardy's one of those actors who, like, he loved, put, him, put him in a mask. Put him in, he's game. Yeah. And so I feel like that would work with He would silly, play like, off the puppets. Totally. He has that right totally. energy. I will say Animal seems already made for that, that landscape, uh -huh. right? He's got uh -huh. the chain necklace yeah. going on. He can play the guitar. <laughs> Gonzo could be the bad guy, yeah. right? The big mask over yeah. his Gonzo nose. Bald Miss Piggy. <laughs> and, 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 and like Furiosa is so rude to Matt Matt. Like their chemistry, like that's that's ready made. A bold you know, Miss Piggy. And finally, Said, I do want to bring up this one because it's the it's one of the first ones I saw yesterday. It really made me smile. Uh, you tweeted sister act, but keep Whoopi. Hey. I'm just Listen. saying, if you are a YouTube person or something, make this happen. Make the, you can make this happen. It would be so much fun. Bops. His <laughs> eye is on the sparrow. We would, I mean, Miss Piggy has Mother Superior. You get it, y'all. You get it. I love this. I love this tweet. Well, let's take it to the timeline. Inspired by Corey's tweets, but riffing on his idea, sort of the inverse, we came up with this. Pick a movie and replace one character with a Muppet. Mm. So like a Muppet amidst mm. a sea of human actors. Mm. Uh, what's the movie and, and, and what's the actor? Who are you? Yeah, yeah. I, l listen, I'm, I'm going to go with Passion of the Christ starring Kermit the Frog. I'm feeling saucy this Monday. Where did you? Pat, I, just picture it. Mm. As Jesus? Yes, as Jesus. Well, I don't know. It's, not, it's the passion of the Kermit. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. I want to see movie po posters. Where you at, Darth? What about you? Uh, the Fifth Element. Ooh. With Miss Piggy as Lilu. Ooh. Also, a quick like throwback. Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf with Miss Piggy as you know, Miss Taylor's character? <laughs> no, but I like I like Fifth Element because all the karate it it's works. Yeah, it would be a whole lot. Anyway, well, we can't avoid Elon Musk forever. Mm, much try. as I try, much as I try. Shout out to our own headline writers here at BuzzFeed News for this one. I know y'all saw this push alert. Elon Musk, who did not help rescue the youth soccer team from that Thai cave, attacked a diver who did and called him a pedo. Yeah, I saw a lot of folks talking about this yesterday, and uh, again, uh, BuzzFeed News sent that out as a push alert. I saw mm. a lot of people really applauding that. Uh, but Elon Musk continues to step in it. Vern 
Unsworth, who is one of the divers, mm -hmm. really put a lot of thought into that rescue effort, mm. basically did an interview in which he called uh, Elon Musk's submarine a PR stunt. Okay, that's one of the nicer things he said. He also said he could stick it where the sun don't shine, and he did not mean the caves. Elon Musk then <laughs> took to Twitter. He said, sorry, pedo guy, you really did ask for it. So calling him a oh, okay. pedo... This guy that really helped, oh, um, and right. then he doubled down on it before doing what? What'd he do? I, 2018, baby. I just don't understand. He deleted his tweets like, dude, you're Elon Musk. You have however many millions of followers, however many journalists are assigned to like cover your every move at this point. And like, yeah, girl, we screenshot it. Yeah, it, it got screenshotted, <laughs> buddy. But can you imagine that he doubled down on it? Well, at this point, I can't imagine. <laughs> I can't, because men like Elon Musk, Kanye West, and Donald Trump, if anything, Ooh. seem to have a lot in common in terms of how they behave on the timeline. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A lot going on here. Uh, Kumail Nanjiani had this to say about Elon Elon Musk, I mean, truly wild and offensive accusation. Uh, Elon Musk didn't call, didn't just call the British rescuer in Thailand a pedophile. He called him a pedophile because he could not imagine another reason for a white guy to be in Thailand, which of course is a false assumption. Sometimes white guys visit Thailand to show off their useless mm, submarines. There it is, a good, a good dunk. And let's be honest, saw a <laughs> lot of good dunks on the mm. timeline yesterday. Uh, Rab Florence really sums it all up nicely though in this tweet. There's something beautiful about Elon Musk's 2018. All that propaganda, his rocket in space, the construction of his brand, all undone by acting like a fucking tool on Twitter. B-U-T-Full. And it really, it is. I just felt Sinking like himself. Elon Musk, I'm like, all you had to do was stay rich. <laughs> that was all you had to do, friend. Anyway, our own Charlie Warzel brought up an interesting point with nuance that perhaps I'm not bringing. Here's what Charlie said. Watching reporters on the weekend cover the latest Elon Musk outrage reminds me so much of watching political reporters spend their weekend mornings reacting to Trump tweets in 2017. Both used Twitter to constantly focus attention toward themselves, taking up more and more space. Yeah, Charlie Warzel joins us now. Good morning, Charlie. Here we are. <laughs> Here we are. Here we are. Uh, not to start with a very broad question, Charlie, but how do you solve a problem like Elon Musk? I don't know, and I think that that's the real problem. What I was sort of getting at with this with this tweet yesterday is is that you know. Similar to Trump, um, as he has done throughout his presidency, there's this sort of like invasion of our space, both as reporters, but just as like people who pay attention to broader culture that, you know, in all of our downtime on Sunday mornings on, you know, Tuesdays at 4am, like Elon Musk is just injecting himself into our world via Twitter all the time and causing these controversies. And we're constantly going back to him. And it's just sort of like, taking up so much of our mental time and capacity on stuff that is like, I mean, th this is a controversy that just did not need to happen in any way. This is a new story he did not need to be involved in. Uh, he chose to involve himself. It didn't work out. And then he's involving himself in it again. Uh, and it's just sort of, I, I don't know how you solve this. As a, as a reporter, you know, this stuff needs to be covered, obviously, but at the same time, all we're doing is playing into this more and more. We're giving him the oxygen that he wants. And, and I, I'm not really sure what we need to do about that. Something needs to change, I think, though. Mm -hmm. I do want to ask, looking at this from a different way in terms of Twitter as, as a form of rhetoric, um, is, it, is, it, is a way of looking at Elon Musk and I would say Trump that is that, frankly, they are good at Twitter as a rhetoric. They are good at getting us to talk about them and getting themselves to become essential parts of what it means to be paying attention to the timeline. I, you know, I mean, I think that that's true to some degree, but I would replace good with just available, right? Like Trump is the president of the United States and he is so available on Twitter. He's not as available to people. He's not like at replying, you know, strangers, but that's what Elon Musk does. Elon Musk is running like three to seven companies right now. He is a billionaire. He is uh, this eccentric, obviously brilliant figure who has a lot to do and a lot of responsibilities. And yet, you know, almost anyone with a Twitter handle can you know, talk to him and he's going to reply. And oftentimes in this incendiary way, I think there's this, the, the real issue is that he's just constantly there and willing to engage. And he kind of 
sort of like Trump, kind of can't help himself. Um, we did a lot of reporting uh, last month on Elon Musk and his relationship with a lot of his employees and a lot of people that worked with him. And the thing that they said overwhelmingly, almost everyone, was that he just can't stop. Like, once he is provoked, he is unable to let even the smallest slight go, and he just has to engage. So I would argue maybe better, maybe more than just being good at Twitter, he's just like his id kind of can't be stopped and controlled and Twitter rewards that behavior. Mm. It rewards that behavior. Yeah. And he's got a little bit of that thin skin. Uh, you brought it up though, Charlie. So let's talk about it real quick. I, I remember a stunt with flamethrowers. We're talking about this submarine. Um, how are those companies that Elon Musk runs doing? How's Tesla uh, while he's spending all his time on Twitter? I mean, I think that there's this this real, say, if you're an investor uh, in something like Tesla, you know, Tesla's having some difficulties, you know, meeting manufacturing goals. There's a lot of uh, high profile exits uh, from his company, from, from certain employees. Uh, there's a lot of turnover in that way. And I'd say that, you know, there are generally more struggles in his business life than there have been. That's not to say that, you know, things are going off the rails, but it makes it all the more... Uh, notable that he's spending so much time on Twitter. And, and it's possible that maybe this is sort of a, a brand and marketing type thing that he thinks, you know, the more he can inject himself out there, the more you know, he can get people to believe in the, in the cult of Elon Musk, then the better that is for, you know, his, his companies. But what this is showing is, I mean, he's putting himself in these situations he has really no business in and it's only really harming him. Like, even if you're a supporter right now, you have to look at the tweet from yesterday, the pedophile thing, and, and just sort of, like, put your hands in the air. I mean, this is like, he's on the par with these sort of tech innovators, genius level as, like, Steve Jobs, let's say. People compare him, the two of them, a lot. But Steve Jobs wasn't, was very focused. And, uh, and, and I think there's a lot of worry that he's not focused like he should be. Charlie, to your point, the question about like the cult of Elon Musk, that is something I think is interesting. If people tweet something critical or report something critical about Elon Musk, you see like Elon Musk stands uh, in his mentions that that seems somewhat unusual to me. Like I don't feel like Mark Zuckerberg has like the Zuckerberg hive. So so what what is it about Elon Musk that is drawing this this kind of aspect? It's like he's Beyonce, billionaire Beyonce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean like very JV version of that. Um, but uh but I think he's just somebody who a lot of people sort of look up to. There's always sort of this um, in, in business and like innovation, there's always sort of this, there's always a genius level type person that people sort of look up to that, that can make things happen, that can push things forward. I mean, if you're someone who, who enjoys technology, who is, you know, interested in science, like the things that Elon Musk is, are, is trying to do is are, are potentially world changing. There is reason to like, this guy and what he represents. And yet at the same time, he's just giving, like he's making it really hard for those people, I think, to, to love and support him, given that he's just injecting himself all the time into these moments. But, but yeah, he has this really sort of uh, vocal, intense, protective fan base um, that not a lot of people have. And, and you know, I think he's, I think he's really testing the, the limits of their love right now. Yeah. Making it hard. Well, Charlie, as always, thanks for joining us. And thanks for those tweets. A lot of insight. Take care, guys. Testing the limits of their love. Mm. For now, let's leave it with the latest news this morning from The Independent. Elon Musk could be sued for calling a Thai cave rescuer a pedo. That's right. Uh, our man Vern is saying he's leaving his options open, maybe talking to some lawyers, what it means uh, that, that those accusations were made up against him. I'm just going to look at the camera. Just All right. Uh, camera. Stick around, <laughs> friends. Um, fire tweets are up next. That's absolutely right. Words have meaning. <laughs> All right, earlier this morning, we were talking about recasting some of our favorite movies with Muppets. Uh, Sydney Martinez, you got me shook. You said, set it off, but with Muppets. <laughs> that is good. A lesbian <laughs> bank heist movie with Muppets. I live. I would definitely watch that. There'd have to be a few female, female that, Muppets, that, though. So I was saying that. That was like, dang, yeah, Miss Piggy. It's kinda, Miss Piggy's <laughs> got kind of got it on lockdown. We need more. We need more equity. Okay, this first tweet comes from Penis Hernandez. Of course. All right. <laughs> IRL 
friend, why did you tweet this? Me. Not to be asked about it in real life, that's for sure. Mm, that's true. <laughs> leave, leave it on the timeline. At me. <laughs> he says that. We're having lunch. I'll start to ask him about something. He's like, he's like, if you, you want to ask get me about it. Get out your phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Monika Celia, you said, if I was a professional dominatrix, I'd advertise myself as propane and propane accessories. And my company would be called Kink of the Hill. Thank you, goodbye forever. I mm. That's just really great. I stand a good dominatrix I pun. Have, I have to admit, I was laughing at, at this tweet before I even said it out loud and heard the pun. Before you got I was the like, king oh, of propane. The, That's kind of a funny The way King to, of the Hill yeah, reference. There we go. Shout out to King propane. of the Hill. Propane. Garland, Texas. I love it. Okay. This comes. <laughs> from Texas, it's King of the Hill. Hello. Um, <laughs> breakfast haver. There are a million designers working on making a website, making website betters have, excuse me. There are a million website designers working on making website buttons have better gradients and none working on the cord that changes how fast your ceiling fan is going. Literally no one knows what speed their fan is on or what will happen if they pull the cord again. I'm sorry. Just. It's, I just have memories of being a child at my Aunt Mary's house. And you just, you know, is it going to go faster? faster or is it going to stop? And then you stop and look. Is it going to stop it for 20 like minutes? It looks like it's going slow. Try it again. Try it again. Yeah, it's a whole. Stop for 20 minutes and then keep going. Oh, that was good. a good one. It was a story. Whew. All right, you Observations. Ready for okay. Tweet of the day. Let's do it. Here we go. Mark Leggett, you tweeted. Back when I started this company, I only had $17 in my pocket, $300,000 in the another pocket, and the vast fortune of my family to fall back on. Mm. When are we going to stop seeing these pieces? Self-made. Self-made. <laughs> Thanks to my parents' is Elon nine Musk, houses. Is Elon Musk self-made? Oh, God. About his story I, there you go. I know his mom has really cool gray hair. She looks like a villain from Harry Potter. <laughs> there was a bunch of her. She's fierce. Oh, she's she, a model. She's, yeah. she's a model. Whole thing. A mom model. Shout out to her. I right like now. how you got it back to Musk, well, though. Well, you know, now he's on my mind. <laughs> I've been trying to, re I've really been trying not to dedicate energy to But now Elon your Musk. mind is musky. Okay, up next, <laughs> I am talking about Sasha Baron Cohen's new series, Who is America? Mm. Who is America? Who is America? That, those clips are crazy. crazy. <laughs> Y'all are crazier than I ever thought. Welcome back. Okay, here's a tweet from Mike Drucker. Fun fact, you can't really be tricked into saying that toddlers should have guns. If you're down to say it into a camera, it 100% means you live in a universe where it's an acceptable idea. Hello. Mike is, of course, talking about the premiere episode of Sasha Baron Cohen's Who is America, in which several GOP politicians can be seen advocating for a program called Kinder Guardians. Uh, joining me now to talk about it is Vulture TV critic Jen Cheney. She reviewed that episode. Uh, Jen, how are you doing this morning? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well. I am not advocating for Kinder Guardians. That's how I'm doing. Um, <laughs> Smart move. <laughs> Smart move, right? Low bar, though. Low bar. So, one to start. Um, how is Who is America different from some of Sasha Baron Cohen's, you know, earlier work? Well, comparing it to the Ali G show, which is really how Sasha Baron Cohen became a household name, it's similar in that in that original show, he would take on alter egos, three different personas, Ali G, Borat, and Bruno, and he would interview people, and they didn't really understand that it was part of comedy. So he, part of it was him, you know, catching people unawares. Uh, and he's doing that kind of thing in the new show as well, but he's come up with totally different characters that he's become. And he's really disguising himself a lot more deeply because obviously he's much more recognizable now than he was back then. Uh, but I think what's different, I went back and I watched some of the Ali G clips specifically with politicians. And most of the time, the joke was really, you know, what Sasha Baron Cohen was doing. He would push norms. He would ask ridiculous questions. And nine times out of 10, the politician would be like, wait a minute. You know, what you're saying doesn't make sense. Of course, a woman could be president, and here's why. Uh, now, especially in that, that gun control or, or non-gun control segment that you're talking about, uh, he's pushing the norms, and, and a lot of people aren't pushing back. In fact, they're pushing it further. And I think that really is representative of where the culture is now versus where it was, you know, 15 years ago when he first started. Yeah, and, and to that point, in your review, you talk about your initial concern that shows like this would only or could only further erode conservatives' trust in media and perpetuate the idea of fake news. Um, now that you've seen the first episode, are you still worried about that dynamic? 
I'm less worried about it than I was, uh, partly because none of the personas he's taking on are really journalists. There's only one who's sort of a pseudo journalist and he's really like a far right wing conspiracy theorist. So I don't feel like he is posing as a reporter. Uh, but, you know, as we've talked about, there are politicians who are saying he, he duped me. This isn't fair. Uh, and, and kind of bringing attention to that. And, and I think that there is a, it does play with, you know, what is real and what is not, but it, it's doing it for the sake of comedy. And uh, I think that should be pretty clear to anybody who watches the show. Right. I, I was struck, I mean, just thinking about, you know, the last week news cycle. We've got, you know, the former CEO of Papa John saying, I was tricked into saying the N-word. Now we've got people saying, you know, I was tricked into advocating for kindergarten. So let's let's talk about kindergartians for a moment. That clip, I feel like, has gained the most traction so far. I'm seeing it discussed quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> how embarrassing was it for the politicians who appear and, and who are the politicians we see in that segment? So this is a segment where Sasha Baron Cohen uh, takes on an alter ego called Iran Morad, who is an Israeli anti-terror expert who is a real advocate for training kids to use guns as early as possible. I think, you know, two is maybe his cutoff point, but any anybody older than that, they should know how to handle a weapon. And he talks to some, you know, gun advocates, gun lobbyists who are all in favor of this. Uh, and then he gets some politicians, uh, including Joe Walsh, uh, uh, Trent Lott, who's no longer in, in the House, but a, a former member of the House. Um, he also talks to Matt Getz, who's a member of the House, and he is the one politician who says, you know, I'm not going to advocate for that. I'm not, you're not going to find somebody who, uh, after you explain something for just a few seconds, is going to say, yeah, sure, I'll throw my support behind it. And then you cut to Trent Lott going, yes, I'm in favor of kindergartens. Um, so... Yeah, I think Matt Wall or excuse me, Joe Walsh has been most vocal about saying, "Oh, he duped me. I didn't know what this was. I thought I was being given an award for my support of Israel, and and I was just reading what was on this teleprompter." And I have a hard time buying that as a defense for the same reasons that uh, that initial tweet that you read said. You know, you you could give me the biggest major award, the best leg lamp from a Christmas story ever. I'm still not going to say something that says five-year-olds should, should learn how to use guns. Yeah. So I think he's probably frustrated maybe that he was deceived, but more frustrated that he said what he said and didn't give it more thought. I'm inclined to agree. Something I've been thinking about in terms of comedy is like, how does satire and parody, how do they function uh, when you have a president like Trump, right? And, and the news itself is so outlandish. Uh, what, in your opinion, does uh, Who is America kind of say about satire in politics right now? Well, I think we've spent so much time, you know, on the comedy side, trying to, to make fun of what is going on. And a lot of times it's really difficult. I mean, because the joke is already there. And, and by the time a comedian catches up to it, first of all, the news cycle has moved on to something else. But there's oftentimes I, I see comics on late night shows, for example, just kind of repeating what Trump did or said. And there's kind of nothing to add to it. Uh, and I think what Sasha Baron Cohen is doing is an interesting layer of, you know, showing how easy it is for, for some of these people to advocate for things that I think most rational thinking people would say are inappropriate, but to, to just really kind of set them up and let them kind of lead the way and show what they're doing um, and show what they think. And I think that that last segment last night that he did um, about the kindergartians was the most effective part of that first episode. And if he continues to do stuff like that, you know, I think it is a show that is going to be worth paying attention to. Right. And, and to that point, um, any thoughts on what we can expect to see for the rest of the season? Well, we know already because they've made a big fuss about it um, that Sarah Palin and Roy Moore are going to be uh, in some upcoming episodes. Uh, and it seems like from this first episode that these four personas are, are what we're going to be seeing again and again. But, you know, where he goes with it, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see. Wait and see. Well, uh, Jen, I appreciated your review uh, and thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you so much. All right, friends, up next, Stephanie and Alana Bennett are going to be talking about the movie Eighth Grade. I've heard good stuff about it. Excited to hear their conversation. Jake Tropila says, Eighth grade beautifully encapsulates the awkwardness, fears, and anxieties of surviving a transitional year in the midst of adolescence wonderfully captured by Bo Burnham and radiantly performed by Elsie Fisher, I adored this movie. 
Here to talk about eighth grade is Alana Bennett, entertainment reporter at BuzzFeed News. Alana, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So you reviewed the movie and you actually got to speak with the star and the director mm -hmm. of the film. So what is this movie about? This movie is about an eighth grade girl. She's 13. She's painfully awkward and quiet and she gets the most quiet superlative in her eighth grade year uh, and it's her it's the last week of eighth grade and so she is trying to be less quiet and kind of break out of herself and set up the life that she wants for herself with friends and everything for high school right and this is Bo Burnham's directorial debut who if you don't know that name I definitely remembered him from YouTube back in the day he was like one of the first YouTube stars I think yes. um, in like 2006 or something so how did he get into now directing a film He's had kind of a long road. He did, he did start with uh, YouTube and this character also vlogs as to an audience of no one as kind of a way of breaking out of herself and speaking her thoughts. And Bo did a lot of comedy over the years, a lot of um, musical comedy. He had an MTV show, um, Zach Stone Wants to Be Famous, a few years ago. And so he's kind of been taking steps towards this type of thing. And here we are. Yeah, yeah. So, how did when you spoke to him? Did he talk about a little bit? How about someone? I think he's 27, right? He's a 27 mm -hmm. year old man. And I just watched the movie last night. He very realistically depicted what it was like to be a 13 year old girl. Yeah. So, how does a 27 year old man get inside a girl's head that way? It was kind of impressive. I think. Yeah. I think the way he put it was. This movie for him was very much about social anxiety, and he suffers from social anxiety. So, I think the parts that I think a big part of it was that he could heavily relate to that part of the character and her journey. And also, he's just, he's a very empathetic and thoughtful guy. You can see that in the way his comedy has grown throughout the years. And I think that both both of those elements, the anxiety and empathy <laughs> um, and talent, kind of swirled together to make a good a good thing. Yeah, um, I actually just watched the movie last night, and I think the biggest thing about it that struck to me was how it showed how big small moments can mm -hmm. feel when you are a 13-year-old eighth grader who might not feel very confident in themselves. So on that note, uh, in honor of eighth grade, we decided to real, reveal our eighth grade picks. I tweeted a few of mine. Here are mine. Oh, gosh. Here we go. Oh. Yeah, it's bad. Yes. Oh, oh no. my God, the, okay. the feathers. Uh, thanks, Mom, for digging those up. Uh, my parents are in the midst of a move, so <laughs> my mom's actually been sending me a lot of throwback oh. pictures of myself um, to my chagrin. Okay, Alana, you provided one, too. I Let's did. see. Oh, oh. Oh, you love are a cute. Glow up. <laughs> you are cute. Uh, the, the stain on the sweatshirt will haunt me forever. <laughs> so what was eighth grade like for you? Uh, pretty similar to the movie. I was extremely awkward, quiet, um, did not know what to do with any part of my body or anything. Uh, yeah, smelled bad most of the time. <laughs> didn't know how to talk to people. <laughs> Eating a deodorant is a struggle back in the day. Yeah, yeah um, I think... It's so, I don't know, it's kind of what I was talking about before, but it really gave a weightiness to that period of yeah. life that I've really never seen in a film before. I think middle school, eighth grade is like kind of traumatic for yeah. a lot of girls. And you kind of got to experience this with that character and I definitely related to it a lot. Um, so yeah, I highly recommend that. I highly Me recommend too. it. Yes. So thanks, Alana. Thank you. Uh, we want to see your embarrassing eighth grade picks. If you dare share them using the hashtag AMCDM, you can see eighth grade in theaters now. Up next, Isaac and Saeed are reading your tweets. Hello, welcome back. Okay, so, you know. Uh huh? <laughs> often so referential at the end of the show, but Ben Smith, of course, interviewed uh, Senator Jeff Mergley of Oregon. Uh, sure and, did. Uh, there was a moment. Uh, ben asked, do you think Vladimir Putin has anything on Trump? Uh, Senator Merkley said, I think it's likely. Ben said, your view is that the P-tape is real. Um, and when I saw Isaac's eyebrow go like sky high, because we were saying- I have here. two eyebrows Yeah, two, record. two, but that's <laughs> um, One was higher than the other. And then Merkley said, something close to that, something close to that, so. And there was, there was a little conversation in between there. There was a moment. There was a moment. That's the main. But I have to admit, I, at this point, the news, America, I, I, I don't even blink when I hear P-Tape. I'm just like, it's, yeah. <laughs> I won't lie. He's it's not no lying. It's no longer a shocking face. set of words Because here's me the thing anymore. that happens during these interviews. They're just right across the right. studio right there. Yeah. And just hearing that We're kind watching. of. We're watching. Yeah. 
So here it is. <laughs> what a Monday, America. And what someone asked me, they were Monday. like, isn't he on the uh, Senate Intelligence Committee? Yes, I do believe he's a member of that committee. So anyway. Well, on the subject <laughs> of Trump and Putin, of course, meeting this morning, Amanda had this to say. That, oh, God, Amanda. The definition of small dick energy is using showing up late as your power move. I like that. Who could have predicted that Ariana Grande and Pete Davidson would give us such an important tool mm. for analyzing news and culture in 2018? <laughs> Who could have predicted? Such an important one? Oh, damn it. I'm on one today. Oh, my uh, God. No, but here is yeah. the thing. It is really interesting to watch this play out, and I think Paul really spoke to that very eloquently, which is these are schoolyard antics, but mm. we are seeing them played out on such a global stage. And you know what? I want my leaders to show up on time, not to have these weird back-and-forth power moves. But with a president like Donald Trump, this is... How he made his money was writing book upon book upon book about how important it is to shake somebody's hand for a certain amount of time. So, like, here we are. Also, I just can't, this is my opinion, I can't act like that, you know, everything we know about Trump and his relationship with his father um, and the way Trump responds to literal strongmen like uh, <laughs> Putin, it seems of note. It seems in it line. It seems of note. We're just talking about other white men. Uh, Elon <laughs> Musk stands, uh, Christian says this, I'm a Tom from MySpace stand. Now, okay. Live your truth, Christian. Tom from MySpace. Was he like this book? Do you remember Tom? What? I have to remember. Wow, this might be an H I'm not thing right here. All right. I, I was on MySpace. When you I signed up for MySpace, okay. the first person you became friends with automatically was Tom. He was the founder oh, of MySpace. I straight up don't remember And this. a lot of people clowned on MySpace as uh -huh. it fell to the wayside yeah. in a very friendster way as uh -huh. Facebook and these uh -huh. other places friendster. rose to, to, uh -huh. to um, importance. Uh -huh. But I will say this. Tom... Sold the company, mm -hmm. travels the world just doing photographs, and minds his own business. All right, see? Standing Tom in 2018, not, not the worst take. All, like I said this about Elon, all you had to do was stay rich. All you had to do was stay mind your business. All right, Tom. <laughs> I, I really don't remember that, though. Right. Shout out to him. Anyway, we asked you to pick a movie and replace one actor with a Muppet. Uh, Softy38, you said, okay, y'all, Braveheart with Gonzo. <laughs> 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 I can't do a Gonzo. I can't do a Gonzo impression. But That's really him good. saying freedom. All right, and Sarah Bella B also has a Muppet <laughs> pitch. Even though he's not technically a human, Avengers: Infinity War keep Thanos. Oh my God, Sarah Bella. That would just be uh, no spoilers, but that would be traumatizing. Too soon. <laughs> take too it to the soon. take it to the thank yous. I don't want to sit in it. I Ms. don't want to sit in it. I don't feel too good. <laughs> Read the thank oh, yous. Oh no. Okay, let me think. Let's get out of here. Thank you to all of our guests today. Senator Jeff Merkley. Shout out to making news, sir. Paul McLeod, Ben Smith, Charlie Warzel, Jen Cheney, Stephanie McNeil, and Alana Bennett. Thank you all for joining us. Listen, Woo. it's only Monday. I have a feeling we got a week on our hands. We will see you tomorrow, 10 a.m. Have a good Monday, y'all. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs>